Good morning, everyone. Uh, let's read God's Word together. So reading from Mark, chapter 5, uh, verse 21 to 43. It's titled, A Good, a Dead Girl and a Sick Woman. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realised that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came to the house of Jairus, from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue rulers, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I take you, say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. All right, well, uh, this is a story that I, I just, uh, one that I just really like and we're in this climate of kind of, I don't know, fear and uncertainty, a great display of Jesus' power and his compassion and one to encourage us, I hope, this morning. So let's pray. Uh, our Lord God, your word is living and active, and as we read this morning, uh, please show us how true that is. Give us a, a great conviction uh, of the truth of your word and uh, the power of your word, the Bible. Uh, help us to see Jesus more clearly and to want to, to live for him in gratitude. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, uh, a lot of you will have seen uh, or that you'd recognize the Love Tari website you you might have seen some of the social media campaign around that around promoting uh, 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 positive stories from our region and this week some of you like me would have seen someone you recognize uh, a couple who have been part of both the previous churches we were part of actually 
uh, and uh, they were talking about how much, uh, having moved from Sydney two years ago, how much they love life here on the mid-north coast. And especially, you, you can sort of relate to that, can't you? Especially over summer where you're, uh, you know, you can enjoy the beautiful... I've got to slow down. Uh, as I see myself on video, I realise... Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, you, you realise how beautiful our beaches are. You could, we've certainly, uh, around the summer, been enjoying some of the beaches. Uh, we've got the, the picturesque river. How many good things there are, are there to enjoy on the river? Kayaking, fishing, whatever it might be. Uh, you've got the, the beautiful mountains, the greenery in the background. And I'm sure many people would say living up here on the mid-north coast is like living in paradise. Like what better could there be? Uh, even our winter this year, you know, it's relatively mild. I was speaking to a, a, a boy this week that's going uh, to live in Moscow soon. And he was, he was describing to me how, oh yeah, it's pretty normal to, to get down to minus 10, minus 20 overnight. Oh man, like <laughs> that sounds incredible to me. But here the days are long and warm. Everyone's relaxed over summer. It's cricket on the TV, which you know, I, don't know, I enjoy anyway. Um, what, what more could you want? Uh, now, adults, as you look at those, uh, uh, those ta Love Tyree videos, you might get a sense, you might relate to, to what's being communicated there. What kind of gives us, what's, what's the ideal world? What's the world you want to live in? Uh, a world where we're close to nature, surrounded by beautiful beaches and all the rest of it. Uh, a life where there's good work-life balance. Work is satisfying and enjoyable, but then there's lots of time for family and friends and for hobbies. Uh, but kids, you might have a different idea of what the ideal world would look like. Uh, in my house, I won't name names, but sorry, uh, in my study, outside my study door this week, I heard a very cute little conversation between, a, shall we say, an unnamed five-year-old and seven-year-old girls. And they were discussing the kind of ideal world for them, what that would look like. And they were talking about how they want a nice big house and they listed some of the girls in the church that they'd like to live in that house with them. And one of them said, oh, and I could have a cat. And the other said, you could have three cats. Wow, imagine that. So that's the world uh, that some would like to be a part of. There's a, there's a Lego model in our house of a, a, of a house. And the ideal house uh, for some people is it's got a big skate rink, a skate park on the top with jumps and ramps and all this sort of stuff. There's a soccer field on there. There's a pool. Maybe that's the ideal world for some of the kids. I don't know. Uh, maybe for some it's where you get to just sit around and game all day and not do much else. Uh, my ideal world, I reckon, would be where I don't get injured playing a game of soccer and I can just keep playing for as long as I want to. I have the body of a 27-year-old my whole life. I think that's, how, that's, that's my ideal world. What about you, though? What would your ideal world look like? As I mentioned some of those things like playing sport or watching cricket or having cats, you might think that's, that's not how my ideal world looks at all. But surely there are some things that we could agree on. There must be some things we could agree on. If we were going to create an ideal world, surely we could agree that the world we all want would have no drought, no fire, certainly no pandemic, uh, no floods. Uh, the world that we all want to live in would surely have no poverty. There'd be no destruction, no devastation. Uh, surely the world we all want is one where everyone, everyone has more than enough food, more than enough water. No one goes without. Uh, the world we all want is one where we can all enjoy ourselves. We can all reach our full potential. We can all live satisfying and rich lives. A place where we don't grow old, we don't grow frail, we don't have to cope with failing memories, failing bodies. We never lose those we love, we never get sick, we're never hurt by others, and we never hurt ourselves. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound like the world we all want to live in? Uh, and the Bible, in the last two chapters of the Bible, 
It tells us that there is such a world coming. It's a beautiful picture. Revelation chapter 21 verses 3 and 4 says, Look, I heard, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. In a world where we do experience so much pain and hurt, how amazing does that sound? It sound where, a world where all tears are wiped away, no more death or crying or pain. Don't you find yourself as you look at that just thinking, wouldn't that be amazing? You're longing for that world. Why can't we live in that world? I mean, I do. I don't want to be in a world where friends, family, people I love, my wife, my kids could get sick. I certainly don't want to see any of them passing away. But none of us live forever. All of us will experience suffering. So what hope can we have that there is such a world to come? Is it just wishful thinking? Is it just kind of like too good to be true? I mean, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of pessimism in our world at the moment. I was reading uh, the ABC News website on New Year's Eve this year, or last year, and this, this article came up that people at the moment, there's, there's a sense in which some people, they're feeling too pessimistic to make New Year's resolutions this year. What's the point? We don't know what's going to happen. The, the world's just been horrible in the last couple of years. What hope, what sense of optimism can we have? And that's why I want to look at Mark this morning, this story in Mark. Because I think it's a beautiful reminder that Jesus has the power, the authority, and the compassion to give us this world that we all want to live in. Jesus, in this story, gives us a glimpse of how good this world is going to be. So Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43, describes something that's, that has, that's already happened. It's an historical event. We, we want to see this world to come. We're promised it in the Bible. And God has done something in history, in time and space, to show us that this is the world that he can bring in. Uh, now, Mark is the one who wrote it. It's in a gospel, a story of uh, Jesus' life and his death and resurrection, written by Mark. And Mark was probably, he probably saw some of the things happen himself, but the, the tradition says that probably he wrote down the things that the apostle Peter wrote. So one of Jesus' followers, one of the kind of, the, the leaders of, of Jesus' followers early on. And I love the way that this story shows us Jesus interacting with two very different types of people. He shows the power and compassion that Jesus has as God. And as we see that, that gives us hope, that gives us confidence that Jesus is the one who can bring something better into this world. Now let's have a look at the story together. The story uh, we have, that we've read starts with a respected member of society, Jairus. He's a synagogue ruler and possibly a Pharisee. That means he led amongst the people of God at the time, the Jewish people of the time. Uh, he would have been respected. But here he is falling at Jesus' feet and he's in desperation. He has, a, he has this need. He knows he can't do anything about it himself. So he goes to Jesus in desperation. And of course, it's because his daughter is dying. She's really sick and she's dying. And so Jairus just throws himself on Jesus. If there's any hope for, his, for her healing, he's putting that hope in Jesus. And before Jesus can get to his, to his house, they're on the journey, and it's interrupted by yet another desperate person, but someone very different. This was a woman, you see the description, who for 12 years had experienced bleeding. 
And, and all the doctors, all that they could do at the time was kind of take her money. They were kind of probably all, almost making it worse for her. Now what's more is that according to the law of the time, the Jewish law which we have in our Old Testament, this woman would have been seen as unclean. She wouldn't have been able to participate in like, religious life. She wouldn't have been able to go up to the temple. And she wouldn't have been able to do all those things. She would have been like on the edges of society. These are two very different people approaching Jesus in desperate need because she wants healing. And again, she's, she's going to go, she's going to hope that Jesus can bring that to her. So she approaches Jesus cautiously. She probably wants to go, up, go unnoticed. She goes up to Jesus behind him just to, just to touch him. And in verse 27, you know that she, she'd see that she'd heard about Jesus and, and there was a great crowd following him and she might have got caught up with that and she'd seen other healings. She thought, this is my chance. If only she could touch his clothes, she thinks. That, that might just be enough. Now, to some of us, that might sound a little bit like, is that superstitious or something like that? I don't know. But when, when, Jesus, when she does touch Jesus, just his cloak, she's healed immediately, straight away she's healed. Now, when I was working at a high school over the last few years, uh, I always felt a little bit intimidated when I had to go and speak to the principal or the deputy principal. It was like they, they, their offices were on the, alone on the second floor of the administration building, kind of looking out over this courtyard. And I'd always feel like if I went up there to speak to them, I'd have to tell myself, no, no, this is important, or like, I'm not bothering them, and whatever. I'd have to you know, tell, talk to myself, a little bit of self-talk before I went up, because I thought, I don't want to bother them. And I wonder if that's kind of how... This woman was feeling about Jesus. He's this important person. She's seen some of his power. There's a massive crowd following. Who am I to go and approach this man? Well, let's see what happens. Jesus, he knows that power's gone out from him. And now I think when Mark says that, he wants us to know that this power that Jesus has is the power from God. It's not like it's just God sort of working through him like he's some sort of channel for God's power. The power to heal is Jesus' power. And he knows that he has this power. He senses that someone has sort of, uh, to use a, a phrase, tapped into that power. And it's God's healing power. And Mark is showing us something of, of God at work in Jesus, that Jesus is both human and God. Now, with the entire crowd surging around him, as Jesus knows and he talks to his disciples, they're kind of gobsmacked that he could ask, who touched me? Like, you see this massive crowd, what are you talking about? And as Jesus turns around, you see in verse 23, this woman, she's trembling with fear. She's, she's intimidated. She doesn't know how Jesus will react. Is he going to be kind of mad with her? Like, who are you to approach me? Is he going to be kind of reluctant? Oh, gosh, well, I guess you're, you're healed now or whatever. Well, no, look at verse 34 and the way that he treats with her. As he turns around, this woman thinking, oh, am I in trouble? What's going to happen? Jesus speaks to her in such a tender way. He says he calls her daughter. Go in peace. And he restores the woman immediately. Go in peace. You have nothing to fear. You're restored and your faith has healed you. Her faith in Jesus has healed her. The one she put her hope in was able to come through for her. Because she came to Jesus, because she trusted that he's the one who can heal her, she doesn't have to fear anymore. She can simply live in peace. 
And Jesus is a generous and compassionate saviour. He wants to know this woman. He wants to see her, speak to her face to face. And he wants us to know that when he heals and when he restores, he restores in relationship with himself. Jesus wants us to put our trust in him as a personal saviour, somebody that we can know. And as we do that, as this woman does that, as we put our hope and our trust in Jesus, then fear can be driven out because we realise that Jesus is fully in charge. He knows what he's doing. He's in charge of this world. He has the power to change this world. And he wants to do that. He wants to deliver us and rescue us into the blessing of a new creation, something better than what we experience now. And he gives this woman and us a glimpse of that power and that ability so that she can go away, from, uh, go away in peace, feed, freed from her suffering. Now the story at this point then returns back to Jairus. Uh, and his daughter. Well, the woman trusted that Jesus could heal her sickness. He sees some messengers coming up to Jesus and coming up to Jairus, and they display, I guess, the opposite, a complete lack of faith. Come on, like, let's stop bothering Jesus. Your daughter's dead. Well, Jesus can't do anything now, can he? Maybe you can, like, sort of go in there and somebody who's sick, well, they might revive, but someone who's dead, no, too far. He can't do anything. But Jairus was, even though tempted to despair and think, well, maybe he's right, Jesus again shows his compassion. He speaks into that situation and he says in verse 36, don't be afraid, just believe. You don't have to do anything else, just trust me and see what I can do. Now, it's an incredible thing to say to someone who's just lost their daughter. But it's an invitation to faith, to trusting in Jesus, to seeing what he can do that even though it looks hopeless, that he's in control. And Jairus is hopeless. He's, he's helpless. All he can do is trust in Jesus. So he does. He goes along with him. What other option does he have? He knows he can't just do it, go it alone. Now, he could, of course, got angry with Jesus. Could have started, you know, why didn't you come when, we, when I asked you? Why didn't you come quicker? Why'd you stop for this woman? Maybe when things don't go well for us, we're tempted to do similar but Jesus, uh, perhaps having seen, oh, for Jairus, perhaps having seen what he could do with that sick woman, seen her faith, he goes with Jesus and he believes that he can trust her. He looks beyond the circumstances that are in front of him at that time and he trusts in what Jesus has to say. He trusts his word. Trust that what he says can come true. So Jesus gets away from the crowds and he goes into this room and he he goes into the, uh, when he gets to the house, into the room with three of his closest disciples and the parents. And uh, you can imagine that, you know, getting to that situation, how kind of chaotic it must have been. Uh, it talks about people wailing and crying and grieving, probably not in, you know, my background is, uh, is English, you know, not quite like in that stiff upper lip kind of in that uh, way. In this culture, it would have been very demonstrative. And people were acting in a way that really showed how shattered they were, this young life had been cut short. And so it sort of sounds weird and, and a bit jarring when Jesus says to them, you know, stop crying. She's only sleeping. And people react to that. They kind of go, they laugh, like, what are you, crazy? And perhaps there's a hint to us of what's going to happen in this story. That to Jesus, death is, is like she's just sleeping. It's just a moment, a period in time. But I can overturn that. And he goes in, and he does. 
I just imagine Jesus walking in with sort of utter calmness, sort of into complete control. It says he picks up her hand and he says to her, little girl, get up, or the Aramaics preserved for us, probably because it was kind of, you know, it was well known, people knew that's what he'd gone in and said, to Letha Coon, Jesus' actual words. And the girl gets up. To us, death is the end. What could be worse? Can't fight it. Can try to delay it. Lots of people try and control the timing of it. But death robs all of us of loved ones, family, friends. And it's the inevitable end that all of us are going to face. But Jesus shows that he has complete control, even over death. The one thing that none of us, none of us can control. And he gives us this glimpse, this glimpse of a world that wouldn't we all want? A world where death is gone. We never have to experience the death, uh, the separation and pain that death brings. Here is that world. Here is the world that stops the crying, that stops the pain. Relationships are restored. Families restored. Life is restored. That's the power that Jesus has over this situation, over our world. And his compassion means that he wants to do that. He wants to do that for people. He wants to do that for us. Now, as I was thinking about this story, one thing I thought and one thing that you might think is, well, what about this little girl now? What's happened to her now? I mean, if this was the end of death, if this was so good, why isn't she still here? Obviously, eventually, she did die. And there's truth in that, right? You see, this is only, only a little glimpse for us, of the power that Jesus has over death and sickness. But even so, it's a true glimpse. It's a glimpse of what the world to come is really going to be like. And I remember uh, a few years ago being at a young adults event, and as the um, youth, uh, youth pastor at the, at the time, uh, the host of the party, before everybody got together to eat, called me over, and he was cooking these two massive big hunks of meat. He'd had this big fire pit with coals on it, and he was roasting them on a spit, Everyone could smell it, it looked delicious, and he just cut me off a little bit and said, here, try this and see what this is like, and, you know, it was delicious. So I got a little glimpse of what the meal was going to be like before we gathered together and, and ate together and said grace and all those sorts of things. And that's the sense, I think, we get here with Jesus. That's why Jesus came and did all these things, to give us a glimpse, a little foretaste of what the world to come is going to be like for us. He came to show us that he really does have the power to defeat death. And he wants to do that for us. We see his compassion, we see his power. We see a glimpse of it. Now at this point, it's still a part of our world. It's still a part of our world. But one day it won't be. This incident shows us that we have a taste of the peace and freedom and joy that Jesus brings as he defeats sickness and death. Now, one thing we have to remember is that it's not, we we don't need this world to come just because of our physical frailty, because of our physical vulnerability. See, these things are only a symptom of a world that's under judgment because of our rebellion against God. And that came up early on in the Bible. People rejected God. And they deserve punishment because of that. We all do. Now, in Mark's Gospel, in chapter 8, Jesus will go on to say that he has to die. He began to teach them, in verse 31, 
that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus said that he had to die. Why did he have to die? Well, it's so that we could become a part of that world that we all want. The world that we see described in Revelation 21 and 22. People have disobeyed God, rejected him, deserve his punishment, but Jesus never did those things. He always obeyed God. He always lived in a right relationship with God. And so he can be the one that takes the punishment that we deserve so that we can be free from that. Now, as you think about that, it means you can't sort of look at other people, look self-righteously at them and say, well, you ruined this world. I didn't. I'm a good person. You're not. It's all of our fault that the world is in such a mess in various ways. We all contribute to fractured relationships, what the Bible calls sin, and we all need God's forgiveness. But he offers that. And through that forgiveness, he offers the opportunity for every one of us to be a part of the world that we all want to be a part of, a world with no sickness and death. Now, he gave us, at the end of Mark's Gospel, an even greater sign that this world is coming, that those who trust in Jesus can be a part of this world. He gave a greater sign that Jesus has power over sickness and death, that he has secured forgiveness for those who trust him, and that is when Jesus died and rose again. Jesus died, but he rose never to die again. He rose to live forever. He was the first one to be raised immortal, leaving this earth physically to be with God in heaven. And the Bible says he will return. He will return one day to change this world, to raise all people for for judgment and to show everyone his eternal reign over creation. And for those who trust him, they'll get to be a part of this brilliant world with him forever. Jesus says, even though we don't see that now, Trust me. Trust me. There's an invitation for each one of us to put our trust in Jesus as the only one who can fix this world. You may be optimistic, you may be pessimistic, you may be indifferent about the things that are coming in this year. But the Bible says that ultimately the future for all people is actually a resurrection from the dead. And you can be a part of living with Jesus forever in his wonderful new world you simply choose to trust him take him at his word take him and and put your trust in him and know that he can bring you into this new world we might say these things don't happen today i know look you know these things violate the laws of nature and you know i want to i want to argue with that of course they do and that's why that's why mark recorded them for us he wasn't like just some naive ancient guy like oh yeah these things happen normally He, he showed us these things to show us how remarkable they are how only Jesus has the kind of power and compassion we see in this story. They're unique. They are remarkable. And that's why we should put our trust in Jesus. Mark gives us eyewitness evidence that Jesus, in time and space in history, came and showed this extraordinary power over sickness and death. And so the question is for each one of you, are, we going to, are you going to investigate that evidence, get to know Jesus and see why he says we can put our trust in him? Mark's presenting these things to us so that we can put our trust in Jesus as we get to know him. Mark's putting, urging us to put our faith and our trust in, yes, a human being, but a human being who showed that he's God by the things that he did, the things that he taught, 
a human being who walked this earth 2,000 years ago claiming to be God, claiming to be the one who can lead us out of this broken world. And there's great comfort for those who do trust in him, as many of you do. As many of you do put your life in his hands, you'll know there's a, there's a sense of calmness. There's a sense of no matter what happens in this world, we don't have to give way to fear. Yeah, of course, we can admit we're not in control. We don't know the answers. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. But God does. And we know his character. We know his power. And so we can be calm. We can be confident. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, we get a glimpse of a world with no crying, no death or pain. And here it is. Jesus giving us a glimpse of this amazing new world that he is the, the powerful son of God can make reality and does make reality. It's only a glimpse, and we have to put our trust in Jesus, that he will come back, he will do what he says that he's going to do. But we can trust that it's going to happen. Both the woman and Jairus, they display what it looks like to trust, just to to take Jesus at his word, to follow him, to stick with him. And if we do, we can have peace, we can be be filled with, we can be calm in a world filled with fear and uncertainty. So the question is, what will you do with this glimpse you've been given? We think about it, or we write it off simply as a myth, or wishful thinking. We investigate Jesus more. Take it as an opportunity to think more clearly about who he is. And for some of you, will you be encouraged to continue to follow Jesus, to continue to trust him, to continue to be calm in the face of fear? This morning I've seen two very different people, two very different circumstances in life, but two incredible counters with Jesus, showing and confirming that he is the one with power over sickness and death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go into a new year, we are so grateful that you are the one with power over sickness and death. We thank you that in your goodness, in your kindness to us, which we don't deserve, you sent Jesus to give us a glimpse of this great power and of the world that is to come. We pray, Lord God, that for each one of us we'll be encouraged to follow Jesus, to trust him when he says we don't have to fear to be different from this world because of that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.